So the Bible reading is from 1 John, chapter 4, starting at verse 1, and it can be found on page 1,227 of the Church Bibles. That's 1 John, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. To keep that open, thanks Hilda for reading for us and for leading us in prayer as we we come to look. uh, this part of uh, 1 John. If you're, if you're new and joining us, we've been going through this letter uh, that John is writing, and we come to uh, this little section we're going to look at this morning. But as we come to that, let me start by asking you a question. Where would you put yourself on this, uh, this kind of scale between trusting and suspicious? Are you the kind of person who's more trusting when you hear something? Um, I told the story to my, my little boys uh, I said, I, I once rode across the ocean and this huge monster appeared um, uh, and it was going to eat me, but I said it was really pretty and I gave it a kiss and that's when it turned into mummy. Um, and so every day, every day, that's why I have to give mummy a kiss so she, she stays the way she is and doesn't turn into a monster um, and gobble us all up. Um, even my boys are beginning to think, I'm... I'm suspicious about that story. They look at mummy. Jack, actually, the first time I told him this, went and gave Julia a kiss uh, straight afterwards just to make sure. But where would you put yourself on that scale between trusting, that's not in my notes, trusting and suspicious? Yeah, yeah. Julia's not here. Don't tell her I told you that. We have lots of fun in our family. Where would you put yourself on that scale? And let me tell you about, let me tell you about this person. You, you may have heard of him, Frank William Abagnale. Pan Am Airlines, when that airline used to exist, um, said that well, they reckoned he had traveled a million miles on uh, 250 flights to 26 different uh, countries. He reckoned he could impersonate a pilot. So he phoned up Pan Am, as was then, and said he'd lost his uniform and asked them to send him a new one, which they did. And he forged a license, and off he went, uh, not, as, not as the pilot, 
uh, but sitting in the cockpit and getting free flights uh, around the world. He also passed himself off as a doctor uh, and then as a lawyer. Obviously, easy jobs to kind of uh, fake your way into. And he was finally arrested in France, aged 21. He'd done all this by, I think... The most significant thing I'd done by 21 was defeat acne. Um, He'd done all that kind of stuff. You're in the youth group. I mean, there's something to try and aim towards, isn't it? Obviously, don't do that because it would be illegal. But 21. And you you hear that kind of stuff. He's got a nice smile, hasn't he? You can imagine him as a young man. Uh, You kind of wonder, don't you, would you be taken in by somebody like that? A 19-year-old passing themselves off as a pilot or a doctor or a lawyer? Some of us are more naturally trusting, aren't we? Some of us more naturally suspicious. The more trusting, at our worst, we're just gullible. We just take things on. The more suspicious, at our worst, we're just cynical. And you read the Bible, and it seems that God is not after either of those extremes. But he does want us to take care, because there's the the spiritual equivalence of the Frank Abagnales out there. That's Verse 1, isn't it? Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John, you'll know if you've been coming along, he's, he's writing to churches who, who are becoming a bit confused. There are people saying things that are out of step with the apostles, the the eyewitnesses of Jesus. Now, one of the things about false teachers is they're often not lacking confidence. They'll claim to have God's Spirit working in them. And, and, And the thing is, that's meant to happen with all genuine Christians. But you can't it's not that you can just look at someone and, and see, oh, there's the Spirit, so how do you know? How, how do you develop right levels of, of trust and suspicion? That leads to, I, I guess, lead, leads to a Christian having what, what we might call discernment. It's not gullible, it's not cynical, but it's a right kind of questioning of things. How do you know what's right spiritually? How can you know you're, you're, you're winning spiritually. That's what John is helping us with here in these, these six verses we've got in front of us. And, and the first thing, just to see this morning, is he's saying, look, test what you're told about Jesus. In verse one again, test the spirits. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John, John's thinking, if you can get your head into it, is this, look, God's at work by his Spirit. Uh, And the way he usually works is through the message about Jesus. And that message is spoken by someone. That's what John means here by a prophet, is is someone who is is speaking God's word in some ways. He'd be teachers up at the front of church. That's what he's got in mind by prophets here. Um, But there's other spiritual forces and they have messengers as well. That's false messengers. That's what he means by false prophets. People bringing a message about, about God that's not quite right. But how do you tell them apart? Because in a sense, you can't see above the line. You, you can't see the Spirit in that kind of way. How do you tell them apart? Well, verse 2, it's through what they say. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
you hear what he's saying? Test what they say about Jesus. It's a funny test, isn't it? Does someone acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? I mean, you hear that as a test and you think, well, who'd want to deny that? Who'd want to deny a real historical Jesus? Uh, John has made it clear right at the beginning of the letter that this Jesus is, is divine. He is God, but he wants to make sure that we get this as well, that God in Jesus really took on a human nature. It's not that Jesus was a human who had a kind of special spiritual encounter with God. No, the one who was eternally God the Son took to himself a human nature, took to himself the full experience of our humanity. I think if you're, if you're new to Christian things, or beginning to just think it through, you, at some point you, you'll struggle with Christianity if you, if you don't really get this. If you, if you begin to think Jesus is just, a, just a, a person who had an encounter with God in some way. No, it's, it's important that we understand this, that God the Son took to himself a, a human nature. And, and look, false teachers often want to downplay it or deny it. And, and here's a couple of reasons why. Like a real historical Jesus means a, a Jesus who has authority over all of life. If Jesus came in the flesh, yeah, he's lived and spoken our kind of life. And because he's God, his life carries authority. His life carries authority because it will begin to explain and define our life. He'll show us, we'll, we'll get to see it in him. He's, he's not a set of values to pick and choose from or just some kind of spiritual ideal. No, he's, he's a whole and real person. So if someone says, look, believing in Jesus, it's really just about finding a, a kind of spiritual connection with God in, in a way that helps you. However you think that would help you, well, they can think that, but it doesn't really match with the Jesus who took on flesh, who had a real heart from womb to tomb and lived a real life. I don't know if you you saw, well, if you picked up in the news this past week, obviously coronavirus has been dominating, but there's been other things. And I don't know if you saw the interview with a young woman, Heidi Crowter, and her mum on, on Channel 5 this past week. She, she talked about the reality of, of living in a society where you feel unloved and unwanted. And the reason she said that was because she has Down syndrome and Heidi and her mum persuasively talked about discriminations people with Down syndrome face. Why it is, as, as Heidi said, someone with one extra chromosome it can be aborted right up to birth. Very striking listening to her talk. When does our value begin? What makes you valuable as a person? I mean, is it your beauty? Is it your intellect? Is it how much society wants you? Does that determine your value? Is it how much you might contribute financially, scientifically, artistically? Do you acquire value as you produce things? Uh, or is it intrinsic in your humanity? See, the message of the gospel 
the Christian message is that the one who was very strong came to serve the weakest. The Christian gospel says God the Son took on our humanity as a whole and confirms its dignity and sanctity from conception. You don't acquire value. No, the Christian gospel says you are valuable. And Jesus' life as God and man says he gets to tell us and show us who we must value, and it's everyone. And he also gets to say which stages and parts of life belong to him, and he's taken them all on. From first heartbeat to final breath. But you can see why then, can't you? You can see why if I don't want a God who tells me I've got to value everyone, why I'll not want this Jesus. And if I don't want a God who'll claim authority over the whole of my life, every part of it, I'll not like this Jesus. But it is a wonderful truth. A real historical Jesus in the life he took doesn't say, I'm waiting for you to prove your value to me. No, he says that your value is woven in from the very beginning. But also, look, a real historical Jesus means a Jesus who did die on the cross for sin. Uh, The gospel accounts say that Jesus died a death for sin, yours and mine. A a real historical Jesus says our our biggest problem is not our finances or our health. It's, It's not our relationships or lack thereof. It's not our... It's not our anxieties or addictions, real as those might be. No, it's that through our sin we reject God and are far from him. And the only way we can be saved is by trusting Jesus' death for us. And Jesus will say that those who follow him, well, in in this life, they'll sometimes find they share the same reactions that, that Jesus got. So if someone were to say to you, look, if you come to Jesus, he'll always bless you and your family with good health and good finances. Everything will go swimmingly well. Well, they can think that, but it doesn't match the real historical Jesus. Because he suffered and died for sin on the cross. No, if they say that kind of thing, it it sounds more like a version of what's called the, the prosperity gospel. You hear from from some preachers around the place. One, one like this who, who says, look, the, the ball's in your court. If you want success, if, if you want wisdom, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you're going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. And you understand what that's getting at. You want to be rich. You want to be healthy in life. You want everything to go really well. Well, it's it's just down to you. It's all there for you. It's just, it's just down to your faith. If you've got enough faith to declare these things, they'll all come to you. I remember sitting with a Christian man grieving over his wife as she was losing her memory and grip on life. Telling me that most nights was a struggle. He was older, but he'd be woken up by her at three in the morning as she'd get up and wander around the house confused, worried that she was going to turn the cooker on and, and burn herself in some way or hurt herself. And can you imagine saying, well, you know, it's only because of your lack of faith. What kind of a savior would treat his people like that? 
You know, look, the prosperity gospel has its extremes, but I find softer versions closer to home. I feel it as a parent with my own children. I want them to, I want them to follow Jesus desperately, but I never want anything bad to happen to them. I never want them to feel on the outside. I never want them to have to make a choice as a Christian that's difficult or unpleasant. I want God to give them health and happiness only. But the only way they'll live for that while calling themselves Christians is if I've sold them a fake Jesus. Now here's how the Apostle Paul describes his life. He says they're sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Who talks in that kind of way? Who, Who can talk about the difficulties and hardship of life as present realities, as experiences that they go through and yet still say, I'm rich. I'm blessed in all sorts of ways. Well, it's only someone who's got to know the real Jesus and found in him that gracious forgiveness they know they didn't deserve and a joyful calling to know him even when it's hard. Why does it matter? Why does it matter getting to know Jesus like this? Why does it matter for you? Why does it matter for your family and your friends? Well, like imagine, imagine your son or daughter going on a gap year and you, you see them off in the plane as they head off and you notice it's Frank Abagnale piloting and you let them go. Or imagine seeing a friend heading in for an operation and you notice Frank Abagnale is the surgeon and you knew you didn't say anything. And you sent them in there with a fake and a fraud and they couldn't help. And John's saying, look, on the last day we'll stand before God and our only hope will be the Lord Jesus. And can you imagine if you've sent someone you love in there holding on to a fake and a fraud and it will be too late. My friends, John's saying to us all through this letter, the real Jesus, he is good and he's kind and he's gracious and he wants you to know him. He's not come because, he's not come because you loved him, but because he loved you. He's not come to take things away from you and to impoverish your life. He's come but to give his life away for your life. He's not come saying, do you deserve my acceptance? Rather, he's come saying, will you accept my compassion? See, in Jesus we find a God and Savior who took on our flesh, not to exclude the sinful, but to die on a cross so he could welcome the sinful back. And those who do find him, yes, it's the find he, he humbles them, but he also binds up broken hearts. He's not hard to know. So don't listen to anyone who, who tries to sell you a fake and a fraud. That's why John says, test. Test what you're being told about Jesus. Like I said, just we're a church family. Don't, don't let Steve and I off the hook. We have, I guess, the majority roll up at the front teaching from the Bible. Don't, don't let us off the hook on that. 
you as a church family together, you're to test the things that we say. You're to ask questions. Uh, on Monday mornings, one of the things we do as a, a staff team is uh, we sit downstairs in one of the rooms and we review the service. And whoever's preaching, you get to ask them questions. You get to challenge it. And that goes for everyone from ministry trainees right up to other senior staff. We all get feedback on those things, and that goes for the church family as well. You can come and ask us any questions. Is that what the Bible means? Is that what it's saying? We're to do that together. That's what John's saying. Test what you're being told about Jesus. Is it, is it the Jesus who's in charge of the whole of life? And is it the Jesus who deals honestly but graciously with our sin. But secondly, and more briefly, how do you know, how do you, you know if you're, you're winning spiritually? It's a funny question, isn't it? Do you feel like a winner as a Christian? You're sitting here this morning. Do you feel like a winner? What would that even mean? Like what John says, verse four. He says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them. The, the word there is like got the victory, conquer. And the word he uses for children, it's kind of like little children. And you think how small and ineffective a child is in battles. My boys are still at the stage. We have wrestling times at, at home. And they're still small enough that I can just about pin them both with one hand each and tickle them. So I always win. I've, I've got to be careful. I can feel the muscle mass developing in them. It will soon be, it won't be long um, uh, before they can take me on. But at the moment, I can pin them both there. The idea of them conquering was no chance, little children. And then you think about how small and ineffective you feel as a Christian. And it seems laughable to describe you as a conqueror. What does John mean? Well, John says, look, one of the ways you know if you're winning spiritually is to think about who you're listening to. See what he says about false teachers. Verse five, if you've got it there in front of you, just read it with me. John writes this. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. And you begin to understand when John said in verse one, many false prophets have gone out into the world. It's it's not really about geography, it's about values. False teaching cut off from God will start to echo the ideas of a world also cut off from God, and the world will love it. But now look what John says again, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. How can we know if God's in us? With all the struggles you face, with all the things you know you get wrong at times, how can you know? It seems presumptuous to say, doesn't it? Can I really say God's in me? God's working in me? How do we know we're, we're winning spiritually without thinking of ourselves as being somewhat arrogant or, pride, or proud? Verse six, John writes, we are from God. He's talking about the apostles. He's one of them. He's saying, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. 
John's saying, look, I was one of the 12. I met him, Jesus. I saw him. I, I saw the way he treated people. I, I came along just after he'd been talking for a while with that, with that woman at the well that no one else wanted to talk to. I, I saw him do that. I saw the way that children used to love to come to him and he loved them coming and would sit and talk with them. I, I saw that. I, I saw. I, I was one of the people in the boat on that storm, stormy night when he came to us walking on the water. I saw him do that. I, I was there with that crowd of 5,000 plus when he fed them all with those loaves and fish. I, I saw that. I, I heard the things he taught I heard the things he claimed. And I was there, I saw it when they threw him down on the ground on that wooden cross and put nails through his hands and his feet and lifted him up. And I heard the way he prayed for those who were doing it to him. I I saw that, I heard it. And I was there after he rose again. I saw him, had breakfast with him. I've got the true message about him. So how do you know if you really know him? Well, John's saying you'll listen and respond to the true message about Jesus. That's verse six. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. I visited Derek and Marlene this week. I had a lovely time with them. Uh, Derek was telling me he's 90 and a half. I love it in measuring uh, those half years and getting your age quite precise. Derek was telling me, you've not been feeling well. I missed him at Prayer 150 a couple of weeks back because he's always there, but he's not been feeling well. So he said he's had to use his third leg, feeling a bit wobbly. You feel weak in life. But he showed me his room where he reads his Bible and prays every morning, listening to God's word. And John would say he's a conqueror that's what conquering looks like. Or if you're single and you're longing for a relationship and there's plenty of people telling you to just go out and go for it, but even with sadness at times, as you read what God says, you say to him, I'll live your way. I'll not listen to them. I'm going to live your way. I know you love me and I'll trust you. John says you're winning spiritually. Or when you've prayed and prayed for a situation and it hasn't got better and people are thinking, being a Christian doesn't seem like it helps you very much. And you still pray, Lord Jesus, help me to listen to you and do what you say. John says you'll only do that because God's in you. That's not arrogance or pride. And he says you're right to have a confident joy that you know the Savior and he loves you. And John says, don't swap that for a fake Jesus. How do you know what's right spiritually? Test what you're told about Jesus. How do you know you're winning spiritually? Well, keep listening to his words and responding to it. Uh, Let's have a moment uh, for our own quiet prayers and reflections uh, before God. Uh, The music group are going to come back up.
Uh, and we're going to sing our final song in a moment. But just as they do that, uh, just have a moment yourself uh, to pray and bring your own thoughts and requests before the Lord.